みみみみみゆゆゆゆあささささささ<笑>
Uh, we'll talk about it yeah, after we'll the podcast. Yeah, we'll talk about it later. My entire life savings, basically. No, <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, hey, you guys want to hear us make plans? Um, that's what's happening. There you um, go. Okay. Anyway. Yeah, so you want to... You said that... So some of the stuff you read in Thomas Merton led into your topic today. Yeah. So actually... Another thing that I've been kind of taking in, I've been listening to Disney music. That's what I do when mm. I'm just like having a bad day because it makes mm-hmm. me feel better. Have right? a bad day. Yeah. So, and I was on Spotify and this song came on just around the river bend from Pocahontas. Okay. Yeah. And so it got me thinking. So I've been talking a lot with people, especially my spiritual director, on kind of like a nation. Who's your spiritual director? Father Clint. I almost thought that that's exactly who you were going to say. Yeah. So, the same name, but he's a priest. Oh, actually, one time someone thought I was Father Clint, and uh, they came up to me, and they were like talking to me, and I'm like, actually, I'm not a priest. I'm just a dude named Clint. Sorry. Uh, so, that was kind of awkward, but... I love it. I feel like you've told me that story before. Maybe. Yeah. It was actually on like a conference or something. Yeah. But yeah. So, I heard this song just around the river bend on Spotify. And I started thinking about uh, a nation, like spiritual warfare, Mm -hmm, mm consolation, desolation, stuff like that. So yesterday I went and watched the movie. Yeah. Just kind of throwing out here, just a little Mm -hmm. bit of Ignatian spirituality thing. Cause I did a talk on this, um, with the Galveston young adult group. Oh, uh, okay. Actually a couple months ago. Yeah. And, um, on his feast day. And one of the things that I, didn't really realize about Ignatian spirituality until I started doing my research was this idea of like recognizing God in everything. Mm-hmm. And I just, anyway, I just thought that was really cool to see and kind of made me a little bit more look into Ignatian spirituality a little bit deeper just because of what we do on this podcast and just how Ignatian sometimes that is, mm-hmm. you know, just like seeking God and like looking for God in the mundane. And yeah. 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 Anyway, just cool little side tangent no, that's good that's good um so hopefully most of y'all have seen pocahontas at this point i mean it's like a classic from when you and i were growing up true so this is uh, i actually looked it up last night it came out in 95 mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i was i was really little um so i'm not gonna like walk through the details of the the movie because hopefully you guys know them but uh, there are a few points i want to bring out and most of them are from the songs so we start out in the beginning with the song Steady as a Beating Drum, right? And so this is where we, we've already kind of seen a little bit of the Europeans coming over. But Steady as a Beating Drum is the first time that we see the Native Americans. Mm-hmm. And we see that they had just won this great war, this great battle. And they're in this time of joyful prosperity. So they're collecting food Everyone is happy. They're celebrating all this stuff. And so as far as spiritual warfare goes, we have, according to Ignatius, we have these two different, uh, I guess, states of our spirituality. There's consolation, which is when we are feeling the joy and love of Christ Mm -hmm. very, very strongly. And then we have desolation, which is when we feel uh, apart from God and we feel it's kind of those hard times in our spirituality yeah um, almost like the dark night of the soul experiences exactly yeah. like that yeah. yeah so those are kind of the two of course there are in-betweens but those are like the two 
labels that he has for this back and forth. Mm -hmm. And so I think in this song, this idea that they had just won a great battle is this idea where they had just come out of this desolation Mm -hmm. and now they're rejoicing in this consolation where they are at peace, where Mm -hmm. they find joy. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that kind of sets the story of this, this battle. And actually the, the chief Pocahontas's dad says the words, our villages are safe again. Yeah. Right. And so it's this idea that we're safe. We can let our guard down. Like the, the war is over kind of thing. Yeah. So I think that just kind of sets the tone for us. For those of you who aren't familiar with St. Ignatius and his, his rules, he has 14 rules that he lays down. We're going to be talking about a few of them today. Yeah. Not all of them, uh, but I encourage you to go check them out because the, the wording on them is a little weird, I'll admit. But once you understand them, there's a lot of truth into the way that we understand and we fight these spiritual battles. Yeah. Of going up and down because our spiritual life is very much like a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think that part of that too is um, one, our living in a finite world, yeah, um, and just our human experience. Uh, and two, I think part of that's living this idea of the Paschal mystery. This is a topic that I used to talk about in college a lot. Um, that I thought was very very true was that part of living the Paschal mystery, right? You're dying to yourself, you're rising, right? So there's this idea of this consolation and desolation in there. Mm-hmm. But I think being a part of like the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, like living out the Paschal mystery, um, I think desolation ultimately becomes a part of that. Because when we are following Christ on the way of the cross, you know, I think there's going to be that moment when we say, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? We're going to have that desolation. And I think mm-hmm. that's just like a part of... Um, living the life of christ in our life that like that's a part of it and i haven't fleshed that out theologically but all in good all in good time yeah yeah Yeah, so that's kind of where where we are hopefully you guys know the movie so eventually the europeans come over and we have these two different groups in what would later be the east coast of the united states right and the next song that we see comes from Pocahontas. She's kind of going through this struggle of, should I kind of settle down and get married? Or should I live this life that I I feel like I'm called to something different, something that's not just going with the flow. Mm -hmm. And so she sings the song that drew me into this. It's called Just Around the River Band. And so as I was listening to this, it made me kind of think, uh, because, so Mm -hmm. I'll go through just a few parts of the Mm -hmm. lyrics here, but she says, uh, the river isn't steady at all, is one part. Uh, and so that kind of drives back to her father actually asks her to be steady, like the river. Mm. And then she, she's thinking about it. And she's like, the, the river isn't steady. The river is constantly changing. She says, you yeah. can never step into the same river twice, like that kind of thing. Mm. And it's about what is just around the river bend. So what, what is coming? And so this made me think about the up and down of desolation and consolation. Mm-hmm. So Ignatius actually talks a lot about this in his rules. So I want to walk through a few of these yeah. rules and we'll kind of see how we can flesh it out. Yeah. Um, just kind of inserting there before we get into this, before we get into like some other Theology. topic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I actually love that idea of the river. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and one, I was going to make a small joke of being like, oh, a song, some sort of art median drew you closer to God and theology. <laughs> um, check out last From week's last podcast. Week, yeah. um, but more than that, I think um, one of the best ways I'd heard God described was like a river. And it was, you know, someone was basically saying like, understanding God is like, you've like, you've been walking through this desert and you come across like it's a massive river, like the Nile river, right? Just this huge expansive river and you can go into it and you can drink of it and you could like bathe in it. You can wash up, right? And you can soak in that water and drink of it. But all of that that you've touched has been like washed downstream. And it's like kind of knowing like our understanding of God. Like we can experience God. We can know him. We can soak in his mysteries. But like we'll never be able to intake the entirety of that river. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. so when you mention like that. That's really good. River flowing down and we can never touch the same river twice. It reminded me of that. There was a Greek philosopher that talked about this too. But I can't remember who it was right mm-hmm. now. So go yeah. keep moving. Anyway, yeah, moving on. <laughs> Steve's just derailing the conversation. No, that, that was actually really good. So we're going to go ahead and dive into just a few of the rules here. And this is my simplification of the rules because, like I said, the wording is kind of weird. So if you disagree with how I'm portraying these, please let me know. But we're going to start with actually the fifth rule because the first couple ones are just kind of laying out what consolation and desolation are. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go ahead and start with the fifth. So basically what the fifth rule is saying is that during desolation, so when when you are struggling to feel God's presence, avoid making changes. So to me, when I first read this, it, it seemed really counterproductive because you'd think if things are going bad, then you want to make changes so they can be good, right? But what this is saying is don't make changes from what was working before, mm. right? So... The reason why is because Ignatius tells us that when we're in consolation, we hear the voice of God better. When we are in desolation, the the voice of the enemy is what we hear strongest. Mm -hmm. And so if something is leading us to make changes, oftentimes when we're in desolation, that's the voice of the enemy telling us to make a change that will lead us further away from God. Right. And so the fifth rule tells us, don't make any changes during this time. Okay. The sixth rule, however, tells us to take action against the desolation itself. So don't change the way that we live our life. Don't change the way that we're praying or anything like that. But we should turn against the desolation itself. Like just yeah. in, in our mindset, in, in the, not in the form of our prayer, but in the words of our prayer. If that makes sense. Yeah. And so we should turn against the desolation and look towards God, which uh, actually leads us into the seventh rule. So the seventh rule is seeing desolation as an opportunity to learn and grow rather than a punishment. Yeah. So God doesn't punish us, but he allows these times of desolation to teach us kind of like we talked about last year in the rain is a good thing Mm -hmm. episode, Mm -hmm. right? So these bad things that happen in our life, these times of spiritual desolation 
are also opportunities for growth spiritually. Right. And so if we take this time to think about these challenges that we're going through later down the road, we can use those lessons to hopefully not be back in those situations. So that's five, six, and seven. And then the last rule for desolation is the eighth rule, which tells us to look patiently towards consolation. Mm. So this is where hope comes in, right? Right. Because just like it's talking about in just around the river bend, the river's constantly changing, right? Which means even though we're in desolation now, consolation always follows desolation. So if we patiently wait, if we trust in God, if we Mm. take this time to turn against the desolation and learn whatever lessons it is that we can learn during this time, sooner or later, we will be in consolation once again. Right. Or at least in this neutral zone where we're not desolate or we're not in consolation, but we're at least in this neutral area. Yeah. So any thoughts on those first four rules? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So what I think is so interesting is I think that that's almost, I think there's something just very true about in the human experience, like when we come upon a difficult time, we want to just, you know, make these drastic changes. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, I have to just change everything. The New Year's Eve resolution kind of thing. Yeah. And just, I'm just going to shift up and change everything. Um, and I think it's during uh, desolation to avoid making those changes is good. But also I think that in desolation, we almost are drawn to want to lose hope and maybe mm-hmm. not pray as often as we would normally. You yeah. know, oh, I'm just not feeling God, so maybe I don't want to go to daily mass or I don't want to take this hour in prayer. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think that St. Ignatius is saying, don't do that. Like, don't, just because it doesn't feel fruitful don't start neglecting your spiritual life. Right. Um, but to take action against the desolation, specifically um, prayer and turning further to God, I think that that's probably like the best reaction to it is like if you're starting to feel desolation, um, there's almost the sense of you read the Psalms or Lamentations and you read, you know, the enemy is like coming or these, these really horrible things are happening. Mm-hmm. yet like i praise god or like in the lamentations it's like these things are happening but god i know you're a god of your promises you know and there's just this sense that yeah in your desolation it can feel the world is like overcoming you but to just turn back and give praise to god and to like cling to him because sometimes like christ is so close to us that like we don't recognize that he's there yeah and i I think this also goes back to last week when we were talking about art being mm-hmm. a like a snapshot mm-hmm. of, of time. Perfect, yeah. When we're in desolation, a lot of the times all we see is the desolation. We don't see the hope. And mm-hmm. I think that's really where, I think it was the, the eighth rule that mm-hmm. tells us to look patiently yeah. forward. Right, and I, I just think that that's like, that just shows the path of Christian because ultimately, you know, it'd be great to live in the resurrection all of the time, but the resurrection couldn't happen without the passion and the crucifixion. Right. And so like, there is just something about being able to experience that. Also getting into this just a little bit, 
I think that time of desolation allows us to adamantly and truly experience realities of the faith that we wouldn't otherwise find. Like consolation is great and we all want to live there, Mm -hmm. right? Like that would be the ideal. That's what heaven ultimately would be, right? Is constant consolation. Right. But there is something in desolation where we get to experience the loneliness of Christ. That when we read the story of the passion, you know, we know the physical things that happened to Christ, but scripture is relatively silent on those issues. Mm-hmm. Like it just mentions that he was scourged. It doesn't go into the details, but what it does go into a lot of depth is the loneliness of Christ on the way of the cross, his abandonment, the betrayal, the loneliness that Christ experiences. And that in our own loneliness is ultimately this longing for a God whose heart is longing for us. Mm that Christ's loneliness is his longing for us, that God's loneliness is his longing for his people. And then when we feel this desolation and this loneliness, we participate in this like longing that God has for us, this like loneliness. And I think there's something beautiful in that. But we're looking for that consolation. Like we're, like the lover is not look like just sitting in the loneliness. It's a loneliness awaiting for his beloved. Right, and so we're looking forward to that consolation of like the lover and the beloved coming together, but like the loneliness is what we're feeling in desolation. And I think just to clarify on like the loneliness of God, like mm-hmm. it's not that He yeah. needs us, right? Because obviously God needs nothing, right? Right, right, right. Um, but it's like this, like you were saying, the desire of the lover. Mm-hmm. I think is the best way to portray it. Like, yeah, I don't need you. But I, I want you. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and that's like what I'm, I don't know if that was clear, but that's what I was talking about. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm not sitting there saying that God like needs us to be complete. Right. But that like, yeah, there is a reality there's, of like the loneliness. Yeah. There's there. this desire. Yeah. Cool. So moving forward. So those are the ones of desolation, but there's also rules on consolation. Thank goodness. <laughs> so we're going to jump straight to the 10th rule. Which says that when you are in consolation, prepare yourself for how you will handle being in desolation in the future. Mm. So just like how in the eighth rule, we're patiently waiting for the desolation to end. Mm -hmm. Now, when we're in consolation, we shouldn't just be like these Indians who were rejoicing. They were letting their guards down a little bit. We should be gathering the food. We should be strengthening our defenses. We should be recognizing what was it that brought us to desolation last time and how can I fix that so that I'm not there again, mm-hmm. right? So that when I'm in that desolation again, because I will be at some yeah. point, how will I prepare myself for that? Yeah. So that's the 10th rule. And then the 11th rule is to stay humble when in consolation. A lot of the times when we're in consolation, we get excited and we're like, oh, I did it. I made it out of this dark time. Mm-hmm. But in reality, it's it's God that brought us there. Right. So that's something to, to keep in mind. Right. Yeah. And I think um, just kind of going into those, um, going back to like the lover and beloved thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think of these couples that almost have to be driven apart, right? And have this long distance. So think of a military family, mm-hmm. right? Where you have this consolation, like they're back, they're there, but they know that 
I'm going to get deployed again in six months. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so you live in that love and build and like cultivate the love that is there. So it can help carry you through that dark and difficult time. Yeah. But if you ignore the fact that you're mm-hmm. going to be apart again yeah. and you, and you take, take, take that time together for granted. Yeah. And you turn in on yourself and you become mm-hmm. selfish. Then when that desolation happens, you're not able to, to have that firm foundation. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of that song, but we're going to move a little bit forward here. Eventually she's trying to, Pocahontas is trying to figure out like what to do. Mm-hmm. So she has all these different choices. She goes to grandmother Willow and she just says, grandmother Willow, what is my path? And grandmother Willow says, your, your mother asked me the same question. And I told her to listen all around you are spirits trying to guide you. Listen with your heart and you will understand. And right after this, uh, she is guided by these spirits in the wind to John Smith. And if you've seen the movie, you, you know that this union of those two is what brings peace in the end. And so the, the part that I want to draw out of this is when we are in this spiritual warfare, where we find our guide is through prayer. It's... Yeah. it's this communication, this this cry of the heart, like that is what prayer is. It's a cry of the heart. Mm-hmm. And so when we listen with our heart to what God is trying to tell us, especially in this time of consolation, because yeah. that's when we hear him the strongest, we can grow and we can be guided to better fight this battle. Right. And the spirits, right? There is ultimately one spirit, like this Holy Spirit that helps guide us. But I love that, like, listen with your heart, because that is something um, that I grew up with. I think my mother's biggest thing mm-hmm. is just this understanding of like praying and like listening to like God speaking to your heart. Like what is the depth of your heart? And like, that's what God is saying to you, which I think is just a very profound understanding of prayer mm-hmm. from just, you know, my mother who I love my mother, but you know, she's just a woman with very simple faith yeah. has this like deep, deep, deep understanding of prayer mm-hmm. and that like God ultimately like is the deepest desire of our heart and like ultimately like speaks to those desires. Like he's the one who puts those desires in our hearts. So like when we are like listening with like the depths of our heart, like it's there that the Holy spirit like speaks to us. And, and one thing I, I do want to point out yeah. that with this recognizing the voice, right? Because when we're in consolation, like I said, it's easier to hear God. When we're in desolation, it's easier to hear the enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, well, we call God, Christ the good shepherd, right? Mm-hmm. Well, how does a sheep know which shepherd to follow? They know the shepherd's voice to the point right. where if the shepherd even speaks a single word, they can separate the herds if the herds are mixed together and it'll know where to go. So if in this time of consolation, we're listening to our heart, we're diving into our prayer, we're listening to this voice, mm-hmm. when we are in desolation, it'll be so much easier to recognize right. that voice and be absolutely. able to distinguish, is this from God or is this of the enemy? Right, right, absolutely. And so moving forward, we have this conversation with John Smith and he's telling her, we'll show you how to use this land properly. There's so much that we can teach you we have improved the lives of savages all over the world. And she's like, hold up, savage. You just called me a savage. Which, 
for those of you who are younger, that's wasn't meant as a compliment back then. Like nowadays it's like, Oh dude, you're savage. Like that's yeah. like, right. you're awesome. No. <laughs> so it's, it's not a compliment. And she responds with the song color of the wind colors of the wind. And in this song, we get this sense of finding beauty in everything, finding beauty in the desolation, finding truth. And this is a lot of like what we were talking about last, last week, week yeah. with, with your art topic. But when we're, we look into the world and we recognize the beauty and the truth and the goodness, we're able to find these little small blessings in life that help us to recognize God is still present, even in the desolation. Mm. Uh, and so that is able to, uh, that helps us move forward. But also in this song, it's her response to being called a savage. Yeah. And in that, she says, well, maybe I am a savage. You've seen the world, so maybe you know better than I do. But to me, everything has value. And she, so she's going around to like all these different animals and showing him like the value of each of them. And we get this idea of unity. Mm-hmm. So, which brings us into the next part. This is actually my favorite song in the whole movie. It's called Savages. Yeah. So this is the part where they're like getting ready to go to war, right? Spiritual yeah. warfare. And this whole song is about seeing each other as other, as not myself. So these are some of the lyrics here, and then I'll let you kind of break it down. Uh, they are not like you and me, which means they must be evil. Okay, so that's the the Europeans. And then the Indians say, they are different from us, which means they can't be trusted. And they all sing, savages, savages, they're barely even human. All right, so in in terms of the spiritual life, what are your thoughts on seeing people as other? Yes. So, so much happening right there. I know. Um, one thing that I think is beautiful with like what Pocahontas is talking about, like in that song, right? Color of the Wind, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can own the earth and still all you'll own is earth until you can paint with all the colors of the wind. Yeah. Right. And there's just something beautiful there about just recognizing and almost like kind of how I view a little bit of what's going on. You have John Smith and like, they're like, you guys are savages because look at all of like the science and technological advancement that we have. Mm -hmm. Right. And like that makes us, that makes you savage that you're not on the same level. Right. You didn't have your, your revolution. And then what you have with this is this like beauty and this like artistic truth of like, yeah, but you, all you have is like earth. All you have is like a lump of dirt mm-hmm. unless you can like see in like the colors of the wind, right? Wind is clear, but like that you can see the unseen and like see the beauty that mm-hmm. permeates the world. Mm-hmm. That like the earth has this beauty and this truth to it. Um, and like as Christians, we realize we have dominion over the earth, not like we don't have dominance over the earth. We have dominion. Like we are called towards stewardship and like recognizing and protecting the beauty that is earth. And just seeing that, like, I think when you look at like the science and technology and I think it's beautiful, but when you bring in and you like ignore the art or like nature that, you know, yeah, like science progresses us as a people, 
but like it's art that like makes us worthy of progression. Pope Francis talks about this in Laudato Si. Actually, he says that when our science and technology advance, Mm -hmm. but our moral standards do not advance with them, then it's actually harmful to us as a people. Yeah. And so I think that that's something that she's bringing in as being like, there is this beauty and this truth that you need to recognize Mm -hmm. as well. Right. And like when both of those things, when it's all growing together, we are advancing as a society. Otherwise we're just getting fancier toys. Yeah. But we are just as morally corrupt. And so you see that with like seeing people as others. Uh, We just talked about that last week where I was called out for not seeing um, Lady Gaga as other and like recognizing like human dignity Mm -hmm. within that person. Um, But I love this like, they, they are not like us, so you can't be trusted, or they're savages, or they're yeah, evil. Yeah, yeah. Instead of recognizing that, you know, you and I are different people, and we have different, like, talents and gifts, and, like, the way we view the world is very different. Mm-hmm. But, like, those things are complementary, mm-hmm. right? Like, they complement each other. They help us and, as a people, grow in faith, right? As a body of Christ, like, those different viewpoints, those different hermeneutics, like, allow us to grow in our faith and like grow closer to God. I am moving my hands all around and hitting my microphone. Um, but yeah, so like to sit there and be able to recognize the dignity in that other person, I think helps us to learn something new about ourselves, to view things in a new light and grow as an individual. Yeah, and I actually, I want to point out something Lord of the Rings-esque mm-hmm. because I think it fits here. Yep. So you are talking about the progression of industry, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So in Lord of the Rings the uh, Saruman, right? So the white wizard, uh, he is like Tolkien's portrayal of industry without moral advancement. Yeah. Right. And so we see Saruman creates like this army of orcs. And I think orcs are the perfect example actually of like this division. Mm -hmm. So throughout the entire uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy, we see that orcs are never... I shouldn't say never, but in a lot of cases, they're not serious threats because within the groups of orcs, they're divided. There are so many different types of orcs from different locations that they're all always fighting amongst themselves. And so we see in two different circumstances that they actually beat each other and the good guys just go away, like scotch-free, like not a problem. And so they're never a real threat because... They are always divided. Mm -hmm. And so this actually brings me into the 13th rule of St. Ignatius, which says that the enemy attempts to keep us in desolation by encouraging us to keep his workings and our suffering secret. And so St. Ignatius compares us to like a secret lover trying to encourage us to keep what's going on private because he knows that if we speak about it, then there will be rep- repercussions, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so this dividing, this yeah. you are other, it brings us into this period where we are alone and so we can't fight back. Right. And so by vocalizing, by unifying ourselves and, and having that community that we can reach out to, we are actually defeating the enemy. Yeah, so I think what's interesting is that it's very much like what, like 
desolation or even like depression is all about is it's like this you feel alone and you want to be divided but actually i love the idea of like the secret lover yeah because when you look at abuse um like abuse within relationships and an abusive relationship and in a lot of ways sometimes like our our desolation or our sin is this like courtship with satan mm. right who yeah. i think at best is an abusive lover yeah and like one of the marks of an abusive relationship is that they want to take you and like cut you off from everyone else mm-hmm. like abusive lovers and abusive relationships um what they do is divide you and remove you from your support base and isolate you because abuse happens in that isolation yeah and the way out of abuse or the way out of this sort of desolation is to turn to those who actually love you who can look at this with a clear head and a clear mind and say, this is not good for you and help pull you out. Right. And like, that's like the thing that abusive relationships like the do is they try to isolate you. And like the way out of an abusive relationship isn't just usually the person being like, well, I don't deserve to be treated this way. I'm going to leave. It's usually like them like talking about it with someone else and somebody else being able to point that out because you want to defend that person. Like mm-hmm. that's a mark of like an abusive relationship is you defend them in their abuse but it's those people who truly care about you who are able to help pull you out and so i think like in the same way in the abusive relationship that is satan in our lives like we turn toward the one who actually loves us to help pull us away from it right i agree <laughs> yeah i i think uh when we look at saint ignatius he, he uh, a lot of the times his wording is weird but as we think about it there's, there's a lot of truth to what he has to say which actually brings us into the the 14th rule so his final rule that i want to talk about so there's this character ratcliffe mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he's like this governor and he's the one bringing all the europeans over to they say to settle but he's there for gold right and so this whole time he's trying to find a way to lure the native americans into a battle where they seem like the enemy they seem savage they seem like this other and he finally finds his way by sending this young boy named Thomas to go and follow John Smith. And then they start like this battle and actually kills the Native American that Pocahontas is uh, engaged to. Mm-hmm. And so now they have, the Native Americans have a reason to fight back. And so the, this war is started. So the 14th rule of St. Ignatius is that the enemy is like a military general seeking the weakest points of the, our spiritual fortification and exploiting them. So that's exactly what Ratcliffe was doing. He found a way for these Native Americans to appear as the enemy, as to appear as the aggressor, and he exploited it. Also going back to Lord of the Rings, because this is kind of where I first thought about this, uh, the Battle of Helm's Deep. In, in that battle, the... The good guys are essentially holding off because this is a really strong for- fortress, right? And then all of a sudden we see this one orc running forward with this torch. And we find out that they had put explosives in this drain uh, thing within mm-hmm. the wall. And they blew it up. And so they found this one tiny little weakness in the entire fortification and they exploited it. Mm-hmm. And because of that, they were able to overrun the entire castle. Right? And so that's what Satan tries to do with us. In our spiritual life, he finds the things that are 
going to tempt us the most. And he identifies them and he tries to exploit them. Yeah. So I think this the in the way Satan works where he seeks out the tiniest cracks in our spiritual defenses and then exploits them. Like he for like there's this image of him forcing his way in to crumble the wall. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and I think that, that stands in like juxtaposition to how Christ works. Where like we will sometimes build up these walls that aren't spiritual walls, but these walls against what is good. And that Christ never forces his way in. But like when we reveal and allow him in, even through the tiniest crack, he's able to come in and like break down those walls and build up actual fortifications against evil. Like water going yeah. through a crack. Yep. Whereas like, yeah, so you like, but you see like this, this juxtaposition where like, you know, where you see that Satan really, all he is, is this just inversion of good and he has no power in of himself. Um, but he's able to like twist what it is, like the works of God. Mm-hmm. Right. And the way that God works is like this, well, I'm never going to force myself upon you, but like, if you give me the crack to come in, I can help enter in and help you break down these walls. Yeah. Whereas like, and like then build up this like actual fortification against evil. Whereas Satan, like the whole thing that he does is try to force his way in and then have us build the walls against the one who actually can help us Mm -hmm. like to build this wall between God and isolate us. Right. And you almost have this. Yeah. It's just, there's this beauty of like where Christ wants to help us build these fortifications to protect ourselves but ultimately an open society of like inviting in others. Whereas like Satan wants us to build these walls and become like isolated, isolated, right. And become these like hermits that like live in our fortress and like don't allow anyone even like in. Right. So that we can like, it's just us and him and like this abusive relationship. Mm -hmm. And so what Ignatius says is that in our constellation, we need to identify like mm-hmm. where are those weaknesses yeah. in our spiritual fortification. Right. And we need to take that time of consolation yeah. to strengthen them. Yep. So identify and then strengthen. So I guess uh, just a question that for us to think about, this isn't necessarily the challenge, but mm-hmm. where are you most easily tempted? Like that's where you're going to look at. Yeah. Like that's your weakness, right? Right. Like, what lies of the tempter do you most easily fall for? Those are things you need to identify and strengthen. How do you address those? And it's yeah. going to look different depending on what, how you answer those questions. But where are you most easily tempted? Mm-hmm. And what lies of the tempter do you most easily believe or fall for? Right. And this is like the nature of sin as well. That we recognize like, oh, say I struggle with like one particular sin. Mm-hmm. And I rec- you can recognize what it is that leads you there. But like there's a certain point where you're like, you're there and you're like at a point where you've set yourself up to fail, but you didn't just get there. Like you don't just show up at the gates of sin and say like, here I am. Like you walk down the path Mm -hmm. and part of like our life is to recognize like not just the sin that we struggle with or like what leads right into that sin, but what is that path that led us there? And at what point can we cut that off at the beginning and like never start to walk down that path? Because the further you get down that path towards the sin, the harder it gets to say no. So to like be able to recognize like, you know, the near occasion of sin or to like avoid those temptations, like what is it that leads you down that path of temptation? Like mm-hmm. what is the initial thing that's easily much more easy to cut out and say, oh, well, I'll just avoid 
this because it always leads me down this other path. Right. Yeah. And I think just a few other things to keep in mind is that spiritual warfare is war. Yeah. Right. So first off, when you go to war, you don't go by yourself. Right. So surround yourself with people who are going to fight the battle with you. And then also when you go to war, you don't go to war without a weapon. And the, the weapon of our faith is prayer. A lot of the times people will say like their, their weapon is a rosary. So maybe that's, maybe that's your weapon. And you also don't fight without a shield, some kind of protection. And that a lot of the times for us is scripture because that's where we find truth. That's where we find God and and his, his love for us, his, like Mm -hmm. we said last week, his love poem that he, he gives to us. Yeah. So make sure you keep those things active in your life. Have your shield, have your weapon, have your reinforcements. The armor of God, right? Yeah, exactly. Or that's how we lose the war, you know? And to like build up those fortifications in the like avoiding of the sin, right? To build up those those ramparts and those, um, you know, you imagine just the ramparts and the walls and the trenches, mm-hmm. and you build those up against that temptation, you know, because that is instead of like going down the path of the enemy, like you built up this fortification against it, um, so you don't walk down those paths, you don't start down the ultimate path that leads to failure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the whole idea of, like, scripture as a shield. Yeah. I love it. So, uh, unless you have something else, the last thing I want to point out Mm -hmm. before we kind of wrap it up is that if you've seen the movie, you know this, but they end up not fighting. So, they get to the point where they have their armies right in front of each other, and Pocahontas comes in, and she stops them and says, look around you. This is where the path of hatred has brought us. Right? And she brings to light via the guidance of that spirit that she had been following and she's able to bring them apart. And so because they're able to, uh, she's able to like fight this, right? This spiritual battle in the end of the movie, we see them. They're joyful again. Mm-hmm. The, the, the time of desolation is over. They're collecting food. They're, uh, they're united. The Europeans and the native Americans are friends, Right. This isn't necessarily completely accurate historically, yeah. But uh, spiritually, this there's a lot of truth in this, yeah. Right, and so this is what happens. There's always that joy at the end, that hope at least, if we're looking forward patiently for that consolation. Right. So one thing I want to give to you guys, if you want to learn more about this, I encourage you to do so. One book that helped me is called *The Discernment of Spirits and a Nation Guide for Everyday Living* by Timothy M. Gallagher. So check that out. I'll put that in the comments too, so you don't have to just listen to my voice. You can just look it up. But check out more on Ignatian spirituality because this is how we win the war, guys. And I guess my challenge too is to actively like prepare yourself for the battle. Like engage in the spiritual warfare. Like take up your sword and your shield. Uh, Gird your loins. Put on the armor of God. Yeah. So so my and I just learned what girding your loins actually meant. Yeah. Because they would wear like their tunic, mm-hmm. and like girding your loins, would you like lift the tunic? Wasn't I the one that taught you this? Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe not. yeah. But you like lift up your tunic, and then you like basically wrap it around yourself, like a diaper, tie it, like a diaper. Yeah, and like you were able to freely move and run. It's so, like yep. girding your loins is to like prepare yourself. Yeah, like to actually engage in a physical activity. Yeah, that requires like your full movement. 
And so, like, this is something when we did our celebration, our speakers talked about this idea of spiritual warfare and, like, martyrdom and, like, that we are actually in battle. So, like, make sure that you're taking time to pray and you're taking time to read scripture and you're taking time to listen to God and to be able to carry out those marching orders against evil. Yeah. So my actual, like, challenge for you on top of what, what Steve just gave you is like I said, I've been talking with my spiritual director and a lot of my friends on this topic and I've decided to do a meditation throughout the month of November mm. on the time of the Israelites in the desert. Mm. Uh, so if you guys want to join us with that, feel free to dive into that scripture and that time of desolation. And in diving into that, we're hoping to be able to prepare ourselves for our own desolation to come. Uh, so that we can, like you said, be ready to, to gird our loins for that spiritual battle. Awesome. So feel free to join us in that. And if you do, give us, uh, I don't know, reach out to us. Let us know uh, so we can go about that, that preparation together. All right? Yeah. Strength in numbers. So shout outs. I want to give two yeah. real quick. So some new listeners, Guadalupe Chavez and Jorge Lopez. New, oh, good new listeners. So. Any anyone that you got for shout outs? Not this week. Oh, actually, for that whole challenge, uh, do we want to like maybe set up like particular readings and maybe we can post that on social media so our listeners can like help follow us along in that? Yeah, maybe uh, maybe we can post like I mean obviously not we're gonna post like whole yeah. chapters, but maybe we can post a couple verses or something. Yeah, just like if people can reflect on and they can like read along with us throughout the month. Yeah, I can try and do that. I will be in the mountains for part of this yeah so yeah but even if you give me a schedule then like gordon and i can work on that as well sure so look for that that guys yeah that way you guys can like engage with us and it's all one big community cool cool all right guys hey thanks again for joining us on the adventure let us know if there's anything that you guys want us to engage in um give us your feedback give us your comments and if you have any prayers, prayer intentions, yeah. you want us to pray pray for you, mm-hmm. send us those. We want to pray for you and help you in, in your spiritual battle too. So, hey, thanks again, guys. We didn't have tea for a podcast. And Gordon and I drank coffee. I know. That was basically my reaction when I was listening to you guys. And you said you were drinking coffee. I was like, no, it's tea. <laughs> Going Wait. back, yeah. Never mind. Continue. Uh, when is this one going to be airing? The week, uh, not this two Saturday. weeks from today. So not your next Saturday. This is two weeks from. Oh, awkward. Why? My birthday. We didn't mention it in the last podcast. It's fine. We don't need to. We'll post it on social media. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Editing. Yeah. <laughs>